You are listening to The Future of Work, Water Cooler Conversations, where business leaders share how they integrate humanity and technology to create a better workplace for today and tomorrow. This radio show and podcast is brought to you by Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center. And now let's listen in as Jen Burrell and Kyle McIntosh connect with today's valued guests. And we're back with the Future of Work Water Cooler Conversations. I'm Kyle McIntosh here with my co-host and good friend, Jen Burwell, and our fascination with business leaders who have developed innovative approaches, healthy cultures, flexible workspaces, and seamless virtual technology. Today, we are excited to introduce you to Ira Wolf, Chief Googleization Officer of Success Performance Solutions. Uh, first, I'll say welcome to the show, Jen. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. I'm soaking in the ocean air. And uh, you. <laughs> Ira, great to have you on the show. Thank you for being here today. Yeah, appreciate the opportunity. It's great to meet you guys. Thanks for allowing me to do this. So the way we like to kick off the show, and, and we'll get into everything that uh, you came here to talk about, but is really just to ask about you as a person. Where did you come from? How did you get from there to where you sit today? That's an interesting question. Uh, <laughs> interesting way to start out. Uh, yeah, I mean, I grew up, I, I'm a Pennsylvania guy, lived here for all but about four or five years of my, uh, of my life. I came from a small, a very small community, uh, a mining town, and uh, it, was, it was a great place to grow up. My career path took me a couple different places. I won't go into it all, but uh, people have called me a renaissance man. I started my career as a dentist in the 70s. I practiced for about 18 years and I loved everything about dentistry, but dentistry. I loved, I loved running the business. I loved working with people. I loved the education. Um, I just didn't like what I had to do. Um, so I, uh, I always thought I would be in some type of consulting or management or training or working with people. I thought it would be more in the healthcare, but uh, 26 years ago, it's a long time, I left, I sold the practice and uh, started this business and, and this has evolved uh, into a number of things. So uh, that's that short version of where I am. That's awesome. There's a lot there. What did you want to be when you were a, a child? Like, what did you think you would be when you grew up? Uh, dentist. Uh, somewhere in the okay. fifth grade. I still remember it. Somewhere in the fifth grade, you know, teacher went around and said, what do you want to be when you grew up? And as a W... I had a chance to listen to everybody else. And somewhere it got to the end that it was like two or three people after me. I don't honestly know why. People said, why did you choose that? I didn't have any family members that were dentists. Everybody, in fact, out of uh, 15 first cousins um, in our family, I was the, uh, which would be my peers. I was the only one that actually, the first and only one that went to uh, medical school. Or, or even on that path. Everybody else went into marketing, retail, consulting. That was the, the entire family, all, all my family members. So I have no idea why I picked it, but I was too stubborn to give it up because people would, you know, at, at, at every event, people would say, so he's still going to be a dentist? And I go, sure. <laughs> and that was the path. And then I, and I got there and, and I really, I did well. And I had a great practice, had a great lifestyle. I was playing more. I was I was playing golf on more days than I was working uh, when I left. But I realized I I was too young and didn't enjoy it, and and so I I switched. Jen, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a teacher. 
But I realized I don't, I didn't like children and I wanted everyone to just do what I said. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it didn't work out so well for me, but that's what I want. What did you want to be? It was either an architect or a garbage man. And I oh, yeah. somehow didn't find my way into either of those, but uh, that's a really interesting story, Ira. Yeah, it, you know, it's funny. Um, I mean, you, you say an architect or a garbage man, and at one point it was like, you know, that's crazy. Obviously, you're, you're, you're not going to be a garbage man. In New Jersey, a starting salary for a garbage man, which is a, basically they drive truck, is $120,000. And they can't find enough people to do it. Wow. So it's not too late, <laughs> Kyle. If this doesn't work out, I'm moving to New Jersey. There we go. (laughs) Yeah, I'll I'll hook you up. (laughs) So Ira, your title, Chief Googleization Expert, what what does Googleization mean? You know, it started out as merely an alliteration, uh, a term I came up with. I, I wrote a book in 2007 published in 2008. It was called Geek Skeezers and Googleization. And, and the original title was about different generations. Somewhere I came up with the idea, I think it was Warren Bennis, actually, I think wrote a book uh, called um, Geeks and Geezers. And I wanted to do more than just write about the four generations. And I, it was going to be Geek Skeezers and Technology. I talked about the wire, the tired and technology. And then somewhere, you know, one of those shower moments, mm-hmm. you know, one of those things that you're driving by and go, that's it. I came up with Googleization and the alliteration just stuck. Um, but it was no more than initially it was geek. It, it was basically people who were wired, people who were tired and technology. Over the last 10, 12, 13 years, especially after the last few years, it's evolved, and it really is now about the mer- the convergence of people, technology, and business. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sort of summed up that whole future of work thing. And uh, you know, I, I kept it. I actually use it as the title of my podcast as well. But uh, Googleization is just you know future work. It's technology, people, and business. And last year, sort of hit the you know. As I say, the shift at the, the plan, um, but it, I got to be careful when you say it, right? Um, <laughs> the shift hit the plan. But 2020 was sort of really the ultimate in convergence of people, technology, and business. Absolutely. So tell us what your 2020 was like, um, either from you personally or your client's perspective, and, and what experience did you have? Yeah, I I don't know if I might be the outlier, and I don't want to say 2020 was a great year because it certainly wasn't. Uh, it was certainly challenging. Um, but as you as we were talking on before the show, I, I've been virtual for you know almost 20 years, uh, or not virtual, remote. So <laughs> virtual is a whole other story. <laughs> so so uh, we're we're not quite in in the virtual world. But uh, I've been I've been working remote. The world came to me. We had one of the best, I mean, financial years I've ever had because we just, by good fortune, happened to be in, in a couple of industries that were very, very busy and hiring people, uh, such as healthcare, uh, manufacturing, uh, a few manufacturing facilities, that uh, businesses that, that were in essential spaces, uh, distribution, um, you know, travel. Uh, but, and I had, we don't have a lot of clients in 
in entertainment and hospitality and, and some of those areas. So it just happened to be, you know, after 25 years, sometimes you luck out, you're in the right place at the right time. But we had a good year. Um, we, you know, it, it basically, you know, got a little lonely. Um, and it was crazy busy because seven days a week you, you get up and you go and you check and you, you didn't leave your home. Um, but it, you know, it took an opportunity. It was a good opportunity to, to see what worked and what didn't work and what we should change and what we shouldn't change and where things fed in and gave you a good perspective. You know, of course, you know, of course, you know, we, we couldn't see family. There were six weddings we had last summer and into the fall that all get canceled mm. or postponed or they got downsized. Um, we had literally six milestone birthdays. We had a we had a one-year-old, we had a 21-year-old, we had a 50-year-old, a 70-year-old, and a 95-year-old. All those events at the dust. So, you know, so one of my friends talks to him about, it was the year of lost memories, mm -hmm. lost future memories, not lost memories, lost future memories that we had. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but, you know, it's... Uh, but it was fascinating. I mean, it was an incredibly fascinating year. Terrifying, but fascinating. Yeah. A friend and I were just talking about that because I said, oh, yeah, that was a year ago. And she looked at me and she was like, that was two years ago. We all lost a year um, in 2020. And it was like friendships that, you know, that you didn't see physically. They kind of went on pause. And now, like, you're reconnecting. And, and we yeah. lost that that year. But why don't we take a step back? And tell us a little bit more about what your company does. Um, so tell us what Success Performance Solutions does. Sure. Uh, it, it evolved. I mean, talking about, uh, you know, where it started and where it goes. Um, but we primarily work with small, medium-sized businesses. Uh, we do have some large clients that name recognize names, but mostly small, medium-sized businesses. Uh, we help them hire smarter and recruit faster. Uh, the core part of our business, the core expertise, um, which is which which is really my transferable skill uh, from dentistry. I love the diagnostics. Mm -hmm. I just didn't like doing the procedures all the time. Uh, the repetitiveness of the procedures. I love doing the procedures. I just didn't like the repetitiveness of it. Um, but it was the transferable skill was critical thinking, sol problem solving, um, you know, helping people come in who had pain and and it wasn't obvious. There wasn't a hole in their tooth. There wasn't, wasn't bleeding gums. You had to figure out what it was and help people. Um, and those are transferable skills. Critical thinking can go, you know, every, every business, every job needs it. Um, and so I, I, you know, rolled it over to there. And uh, part, of the, part of its assessments, so we do pre-employment assessments, uh, pre-hire. We, we test anything from typing and data entry and using word to personality behavior, cognitive skills, uh, adaptability, leadership competencies, you name it. That's, that's what I enjoy doing. That's what we're good at doing. And hopefully we'll continue to do that down the road. Ira, one thing I'm curious about. So I've, I've been, uh, watching a few videos of you speaking and, and, uh, one of the thing I'm one of the things I'm really interested in and resonate a lot with is when you speak of the future and the future of work and uh, what it looks like. And I, I want to dive into that and ask you uh, what that looks like for you. But we talk a lot about technology, but really, what you're talking about still is just people, right? And and uh, and and that's the common denominator that uh, you know we have to adapt as uh, as quickly as we can and be adaptable creatures. But 
that's what it all comes down to, I guess, is regardless of what's going on with the technology, here we are. And we are together in these situations and, and uh, wanting to be the best that we can. That's, it's, a, it's a really interesting topic to me is that it's the people is really what it comes down to. Yeah, when you when you talk about the future, and I know there's people like Ray Kurzweil and a lot of people at Singularity University, and they talk about single, you know, the singularity, and the fact is that it's a world of abundance, and everybody's that you know we're we're going to be able to just live because all this stuff's going to happen, and we'll we'll, we'll be able to have a, a quarter or a third of the salaries that we required now because there's going to be through technology, there's going to be so much abundance. We're not going to worry about water and food and processing that we'll be able to enjoy life. And I'm not sure I'm going to see that in my lifetime. I'm not sure that I'm going to see that in my kid's lifetime or my grandchildren are going to experience that. So ultimately, the future of work, and I think you, I like how you frame that, the future of work is how, how can people thrive? How can people grow? How can they, how can we improve the health and the well-being uh, how can you get, you know, how can, I, I love what I do. I mean, I'm, I'm a baby boomer. I should be well retired. And, um, you know, people ask me and I'm just, I just enjoy it. It's not work for me. Uh, there, you know, there's days that it's hard. Um, but on most days, it, you just want to do that. How can, how can we make that happen for everyone? Um, and it's interesting when we talk about technology, people hate it. And they talk about, oh, we hate Zoom. Uh, we hate all this technology. We hate this. We hate all this communication and these devices. And we hate being on our phone all day long. With, can you imagine 2020 without technology? No way. No. No. I, I mean, you know, I mean, we, we, we talked about, you know, 20 or 30 million people being displaced out of work last spring. Hard to believe it's a year ago, but last spring. If we didn't have the technology, either people would have had to go to work, regardless of the risks and their health, or they would have been out of a job. Mm-hmm. Um, we wouldn't. Have, we wouldn't have lost twenty or thirty million people uh, to for unemployment. We would have lost a hundred million people. Uh, they would. There was. No, there would be no work. So you know there are ways. And now that people did it for a year. Um, you know, the whole debate about hybrid work and remote work and, you know, you have to get on site, a whole other conversation. I'm happy to go down that road. Um, but a lot of people liked not going, having to get up and go to work. Um, they didn't want to stop working, but they didn't want to go, have to go to work. And, and so that's all happening technology and, you know, we're living longer. We we solved, we didn't solve the pandemic, but I mean, basically we came up with a cure in an incredible time in less than a year due to technology. It wasn't done the old fashioned way through live vaccine, you know, live viruses. It was, you know, uh, Pfizer and Moderna is, we won't go in too deep, but Pfizer and Moderna was, was is basically a manufactured virus, a vaccination. It's mRNA. Um, it was done through technology uh, and an algorithm. Uh, you know, so uh, again, that's technology we use to better our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, it does make it more complicated at times, though. Absolutely. I think, you know, I love technology until it doesn't work. And then 
I get very frustrated. Um, but I am curious on what your perspective is on this whole debate of um, virtual or, you know, work from home or go back to the office or this combination. Um, what are you seeing from your clients and, and what is your perspective? And um, maybe what advice do you have to offer companies that are wrestling this big Yeah, well, challenge? every every company is wrestling. And if they're not, they should be. Um, because there's no pat answer. There's no one solution. Uh, it depends on, I mean, there's so many factors. So on a, on a simple basis, and then we can go down the rabbit hole. Um, you know, if, if you look at the two options is one is everybody has to go into a physical site like it used to be, uh, which was, by the way, 99%, this was a recent survey, 99% of, of executives who, who were surveyed in 2019 said that that the the corporate workplace, the physical workplace, uh, was going to last forever. Their their business couldn't survive. It's now eighty percent of those same executives. They went back and interviewed and, and surveyed the same people. Eighty percent of the people who who said that they couldn't be remote now said at least um, one day a week you can work remote. Uh, so there's been a huge huge shift. But if you took the two extremes, if you take a physical site of going to work, everybody goes to the same space, and you took completely remote, you work out of your home or wherever, you know, whatever co-working space you want to work at. And and we assigned, you know, that's the two ends of the scales, one to a hundred. It means there's 98 variations in between. And that's what people are trying to figure out. And people are trying to model it after other companies or waiting to see what happens. And ultimately, you know, it's a complex problem because some there are some things. I mean, if hospitals need, you can do some of it telecommuting, but it's still tough to do surgeries. It's still <laughs> tough to do certain inpatient procedures. It's still tough to do things uh, remote. So there's certainly jobs that are still going to have have to be on site. Um, but there's a lot of you know anybody any business that that continued operations last year, even if it was disrupted a bit. But any business who did do business remote, there's no reason that they have to be on site five days a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you get into all the mixes because I, these are all the problems. This is what's happening right now. That companies say, well, we, we'd like people to come back because we have better synergy. We have better collaboration. We have better brainstorming. We just read an article and they said, that you 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 have to be have a physical presence to have a better team building. Well, maybe that was the case for one or two companies or in the study that they did, but there's a lot of companies that were really successful last year that actually built that increased and improved engagement, participation, uh, leadership um, that people have that that once they work through some of the challenges, uh, that even well-being was improved. But, you know, if you're in the city and it's a younger population and they, you had three friends living in, in a 600 square foot apartment, uh, now nah, they, they want to go back to work. They want to they, they want to get out of the apartment. It was, it was difficult. But for a lot of family, you know, a lot of people who moved to the suburbs, if you had a family, you were a young family and losing that hour or two hours a day commuting, they don't want to go back. Hmm. 
Um, it's generationally. There's baby boomers that want to go back. There's baby boomers who re- decided, hey, enough is enough. I retired. So, you know, the, the number one thing that I tell people, and it always comes down to this, before you make a decision, ask your employees. Talk to them. <laughs> Find out what's working. Because even if you take a survey and they go, would you, would you be willing to come to work two days a week? And, and let's say 90% of the people say, yes, we're, we're, as long as we can stay home three days a week, we'll be okay with two days a week. And they go, great, we're going to have you come in Tuesdays and Thursday. And they go, oh, I can't do it those days. I don't have care. I don't have childcare that day. Or we, we got rid of one car and that's the day my spouse or my partner needs that car. Uh, or that's just not, it's not a good day for another reason. So it's, it's going to be constantly evolving. Mm-hmm. And the, the biggest problem I've heard from employees that have gone back to work they go back to work and they're still on Zoom <laughs> because there's mm-hmm. because either their clients aren't on Zoom or, or you know aren't coming in, um, and sometimes it's local regulations or corporate regulations. So sometimes it's clients, but a lot of time some of the employees aren't back at work or they're not all there the same day, you know, because they had because of social distancing or shift gears or the or there were people just says, well, I'm going to quit if I. Well, can you come in one day a week? So now you're making all these personalized schedules. Mm-hmm. That's going to take a number of years to work out. It's not going to happen in you know by the fall. These people now, now we're struggling with the Delta variant. Um, you know we don't know what's going to happen. So we'll be in the 2022, and by then more and more people will be comfortable working from a rem- remote. People will have figured it out, and you know anywhere be- any most surveys, it's either between 25 and 50 percent say. Um, employees are going to look for another job over the course of the year. Uh, and, and part of it is people are waiting to see where, where the pieces fall with hybrid, uh, companies, it is not a, it's not a bad answer, but it, and it's, it's difficult and, and some companies are doing well with it and some aren't and doing well, doesn't mean, oh, we're going to be hundred percent remote. I'm not sure that's a viable solution for a lot of these companies that are making that. It's interesting. So I'll, I'll just speak from uh, Max Six perspective, our company, and we run physical spaces, co-working spaces and, and uh, commercial real estate and manufacturing. And it's been a tough year from a financial perspective. Uh, you know, everybody was working from home for the most part, except for the uh, manufacturing where you have to be there uh, for physical goods to get created. But uh, one of our values is always learning, always teaching. And so uh, I'd rather than just assume uh, this is, we're going to go back to a normal, we're going to go back to how it was, uh, listening and and uh, uh, how do people want it to be? How do people need it to be? As you stated, uh, whether it's kids or cars or, or all kinds of reasons to get two hours back in your day, uh, it's going to look different. How do we how do we navigate this? I mean, you said it's going to take years. Uh, is it just going to be a bumpy ride? What's what's next summer going to look like? Uh, uh, I know you you know you're not Nostradamus necessarily, but uh, uh, do we have any insight into what it might look like in a year? Say, I mean, the projections, and I just have to rely on people that are a lot smarter and organizations that are that are a lot bigger than than my own. Um, you know, most 
it, it seems that the consensus is that a, about 20 to 25 percent of the, the workforce will be completely remote, will be 100 percent remote. Um, and and that's significant because it was three percent. That's a huge jump in in a year or two or three. Uh, obviously, you know, for for businesses like you that that have a lot of physical spaces, there's going to be a lot of disruption, you know, there and and you know what that looks like. But it also means seventy five percent of the people are going to go back. But it doesn't mean seventy five percent of the people are going to go back full time. Tell when we talk about working remote work or telecommuting, you know, whatever term you want to use hybrid you know that could be anywhere from yeah fridays you know you can work from home on fridays so you can work from home four days a week and that's going to take a while i think it's going to take a while there's a combination of two things it's going to take a while to people figure it out what what's work how much time do people have to have a physical be in the same space what are the activities that will work best when there's a when you're physically together. Where is that? I mean, do you actually need, you know, if you're only using your physical, your corporate offices, let's say 30 days a year, do you actually need a, a corporate office? Where do you rent space? Is there going to be corporate, you know, there's, there's co-working spaces now, which was based on individuals. Are there going to be co-working spaces based on companies that, you 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 can have a building that used to be one company and now it could be a hundred companies and you carve out spaces that way that people can meet uh, when they need to meet. So all that's going to take some time to shake out because we're not back. We're, we we haven't returned. You know, not that we're turning to normal, but you know that we we're still everything's still up in the air. Look, California is you know just in both, or Los Angeles just said, hey, everybody should wear a mask again, and there's. And Pennsylvania, just as of June 30th, we don't have to wear masks anymore. Um, so e- even people moving, you know, from different businesses, even if you if you used to travel for businesses, what's that look like? I mean, they're talking travel for businesses is definitely going to be down 10 to 20 percent business travel over significantly. What does that do? You know, what does that do? Um, people got much more comfortable doing calls. And then the technology is going to improve. I mean, we're not, not that five, you know, there's some challenges with 5G, but as soon as they're better bandwidth, I mean, we could have done this 10 years ago because of bandwidth. I mean, we they, we had the technology, we didn't have the bandwidth. Uh, so 5G comes along and then 6G's, you know, soon after that, the better bandwidth, the better technology, the faster things happen. Um, it, I'm, I'm in some groups, you talk, you talk about crazy stuff. I was on a call yesterday and we're, they were talking about space manufacturing. Little, um, and it's it exists that they they literally manufacture things in space. I mean, you, you talk about saddle, um, you talk about satellites. Everybody's you know with Elon Musk and SpaceX and and everything and and Jeff Bezos and people wanting to go to Mars. That's the end game. I mean, that's their game. But all the technology that's being employed and implemented is when they can do that on scale, mm-hmm. then it changes everything we do. Just, just like a lot of the things that we experience today, a lot of the technology we use today existed 30 or 40 years ago. We just didn't have bandwidth and they didn't know how to do it at volume and they didn't know how to do it cheaply. And then all of a sudden when that comes along, it changes everything. So I think part of it is, is people 
getting more comfortable, not going to work in a physical space, uh, not necessarily... Gallup just came out with their annual engagement report. And obviously, not obviously, but not unexpectedly, I'd say, engagement, employee engagement fell. Never was good, but it even fell. But did it fall because we weren't in the same physical space? Or did it fall because managers weren't very good at engaging people and we weren't very good at using technology? And the better we became, all of a sudden, some companies got it. And so, in, you know, they some companies had great engagement last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I... What I hear when when you give the statistics of 99% of of managers and people thought that uh, work from home is just not going to work. And then here we are, what is it, 80% saying at least one day a week, uh, is people operating from a place of fear. And I don't know what this is going to look like. It scares me. I don't know how to interact with it. And then it's thrust upon us. And guess what? We can adapt and, and overcome. I feel like that's that really is the story of, of a lot of people right now and where we are. And a lot of people just waiting to see, how does this work? How does it happen? Who figures it out? Your, your acronym that I heard uh, you speak about, VUCA, the acronym itself and then the, the opposite side of it, made so much sense to me about how the fear that people feel and the real, like how we interact with this new technology when we don't know what it is and we're, it's new to us and it's afraid, we're afraid of it uh, versus maybe the opposite side of it and how we can think about being interactive with it and learning from it and just letting it happen. Can you, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. And yeah, so for those who aren't familiar with VUCA, I, I didn't come up with it, but I, I talk about it a lot. Uh, VUCA re- is, is, represents a volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. As you probably heard me say, I, I don't have a better acronym or a better four letters that, that describes 2020. Volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. It's not a one-time event. It's, it's pretty much going to be what our life is going forward. So people need to get used to that. Uh, we're going to continue to have some volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And we have to figure that out. Um, but with that, um, there, you know, I also talk about how do we get there? And, and, and a lot of that comes from adaptability. And a lot of the research that came through with adaptability was that there's actually abilities. I mean, there, there is actually skills that certain people have. And, and the good news is if you don't, you can learn them. That's where we need to really upskill people and get people comfortable. So there's five abilities. I'll quickly go through those. And then if you want to dig down, we can do that. Um, and so one of them is grit, which is perseverance. And, you know, certainly people endured and, and they got through that last year. Um, the other one's resilience, which is bouncing back. So we got grit, uh, which is perseverance, endurance, and then and you have resilience. The problem with those two is they're both reacting to the situation. They don't they don't help us grow and move forward. We need those because we're going to continue to have setbacks and we and we need to set goals. Uh, but the the other challenge, the other abilities that we need to get better at is one's called mental flexibility, and it's the ability to take two contradictory or opposing thoughts and hold them in your head at the same time. 
and and make sense of it. Not necessarily, it's, it's watching CNN and MSNBC and Fox News simultaneously <laughs> and not taking sides, but listening to both sides. And how do you bring that, you know, how, how do you make sense of that? It doesn't necessarily bring a solution, but it makes sense. So mental flexibility, growth, my, uh, having a, a growth mindset or what we call an AQ mindset is looking at, you know, and this, this goes to the heart of your, your problem. There is no perfect solution. People are saying, well, what are, what are other companies doing? How did they solve the problem? And no one solved the problem. If anybody says anybody solved the problem, uh, run. Um, because when you solve one problem, another one's going to pop up. We, we're living in a complex world, not a complicated world. Um, and complicated is that it's difficult, it's challenging. But there, once you figure it out, there's a rule or a process or a system or an algorithm that can manage it. So complicated problems can be replicated at scale. You can, you can write the rules and say, oh, we've done that before. This is how you fix it. Complex problems are a series of complicated problems. They're different components. So you solve one part of it, and then you, while, you're, while you're focused on this part, something else happens. It's that balloon. It was last year is all we need are more masks. Oops, we don't have masks. We don't have manufacturing. Oh, and we, we, we don't have, we go to manufacturing, we can manufacture the masks, but we don't have truck drivers to deliver them. And, oh, we have truck drivers to deliver them, but we have a gas shortage. That's what a complex problem is, is how do we solve that? And there's all these moving parts and people want a finite answer. So we need people that have this mental flexibility and this growth mindset. And then the topper is, which we're horrible at as human beings, because we're all addicted. Uh, One of my friends came up with this, said we're addicted to certainty. We need we need that finality. We need that answer. What what should we do? And we'll just follow that. Is that um, the fifth uh, ability that we need to learn is unlearning. We we talk about learning. We talk about learning new skills, continuous learning, continuous improvement, all that stuff. And we need that. Problem is that our heads get full, and we try to layer new behaviors on top of old behaviors, and it doesn't work. So we we everybody has to take a step back and go what what helped us get here and what are the behaviors that we need to get rid of? And, you know, one of those may be nobody, you know, most people don't have to drive to work every day to be in the same place. Um, it also is somewhat laughable is that people talk, oh my goodness, if we work remote, we're not going to have good employee engagement. And then you look at the Gallup poll and for 20 years and it's and the needle has not moved, there's only <laughs> at maximum, at best, there was 30% of the popul- of, of companies of people were engaged. Uh, 70% were dis- either uh, somewhat or, or significantly disengaged. That's not a that's not a really good record to say, let's go back to that. You know, that was it was so good before. But it's what we know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. It's it's memory. Yeah, memories are interesting. So, yeah. So the the ability a long way around that question, but the abilities are you know grit, resilience, growth, uh, mental flexibility, growth mindset, and unlearning. And that's what I I mean. And it, and it hit home last year. And I spend most of my time in research and 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 speaking of what do we do to help people uh, make the change. Everybody's going to have to make change. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just listening to a McKinsey uh, webinar earlier today, and they're talking 100 million people 
are going to have to change jobs, or change the way they live and change jobs over the next 10 years. It's not what they need to do. It's how they're going to need to do it. And people, again, we're addicted to certainty. It's going to, they're going to be uncomfortable, but there is a pathway. And that's, you know, that's what I've been working on. That's what I'm passionate about uh, is how do we help people get more comfortable uh, not that they have to like change, but they've got to be comfortable with becoming uncomfortable. I think that's so interesting. And I've had a similar experience in companies that I've talked to is it's really this whole like change management piece of it. And I think if companies started with the upskilling, you know, and helping their workforce in those five areas first, and then going into implementing change that the like uptake, adaptation, acceptance probably would would be much higher. Um, and I also think about my children I have a six, four and two year old and just thinking about like the skills, like the way that um, what we know about learning education in the future, you know, like I would be interested to ask my children what they want to be when they grow up. But it's so important, I think, for them to have those skills because creativity, um, all of those emotional intelligence, all of those things are going to be so much more important than, you know. Well, I guess they still need to learn how to read and write, <laughs> but yeah, well, we, we've got a uh, a two year old grandson, and he's over here about two days a week. Um, and, you know, kind of. You watch him, and I, I would say where we need to take people is uh, there's three steps when when you're doing adaptability. I don't care what skills, I don't, I don't care what you label it, um, but we we need to have people build courage to to try new things mm -hmm. and then the more times they try it the more confident they became they can do it and the more confident you are the more hopeful you are the more positive you are about the future because you see that there's there there's more than one way or there, 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 there's you know way out or light at the end of the tunnel whatever metaphor you want to use so if you go back to you know kids i mean they're they're pretty fearless and not that we want them, we want people to be fearless, but we want people to have the courage to try this, mm -hmm. to try something new, and then to give them the resources and the support that even if they take that first step and they fall or they trip, uh, what do you do the second time? You know, how, how do you get them to do it again until all of a sudden they're walking up the stairway and not being, you know, not losing their balance? Uh, and then they they can see the light at the at the other end. So this is all about how do we help people build the courage to to build their confidence to become more hopeful uh, going down the road. I mean, without hope and without seeing some light at, at the end of that tunnel, it's it, it's it's a challenge. And and you're right. You use the word fear. People are fearful. What's at the other end? Mm -hmm. I'm on. I'm. I'm in California visiting my parents right now, and so what you just said reminded me of a story growing up of uh, a lesson my mom taught me in middle school, uh, going to uh, eighth grade dance, and and uh, I was afraid of asking asking girls to dance, and she said, "What's the worst that can happen?" They say no, right? And what do you do? Okay, moving on, on to the next thing, and it's uh, what you just said. I think is a a a lesson that I think kids should be taught, but also that kids can teach us is that, hey, just try it. Have that first instinct be to try something new because you're curious about it rather than I'm scared of this and I'm never going to go anywhere near it just because I'm, I'm afraid to try something new. I think that's, uh, 
uh, whether it's employers or employees or just as human beings, something extremely valuable that we all can uh, continue to get better at. Yeah, I mean, it, it also goes down to curiosity. I mean, people, you know, and maybe that's the addiction to certainty. Parents and 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 school teachers. Um, I mean, they the whole process kills curiosity because at some point it's stop asking those stop asking so many questions, just learn it, you know, or just listen, mm-hmm. uh, or just watch me do it. And you know, there's uh, I have some a good friend uh, Diane Hamilton. And uh, she wrote a book called uh, or she called uh, Breaking the Curiosity Code. And in there, it's it's incredible what we do to kids. As kids, you know, I, I watch uh, my grandson running around and and, uh, you know, he's he, he's every knob, even if it's not a knob, <laughs> it's a knob. Uh, he he's turned everything into a into a, a machine. So he takes a, a broom. And he moves it around and all you hear, you hear the motor sound as he's moving there. He took his a little tight, a little tight shopping cart and he saw some video about um, the garbage truck. I mean, as I said, he's fascinated by anything mechanical. Um, anytime he hears a motor, he, he's looking for it. But he took his, his little, little tight shopping cart, this little plastic cart, and he was pulling it back. And as he was pulling it back, it was like, Mm, he was doing the garbage sound, like the garbage truck sound. You know, he'll, he'll, he's going to get that hundred fifty thousand dollars. Just going to say, uh, you know, but it's a two-year-old. Where did he come up with that? There's so many people with, that say, you know, stop making noise. Why don't you just play with that? Why can't you just sit down and be quiet? Why don't you just read a book? We're not doing our our kids and grandkids, you know, any any service. Hopefully, we learned. I mean, because that's the way it was, uh, and it's got to be different because. We need to raise a level of curiosity. We need to, to help them build confidence. We have we need to have them start asking the questions. Why did you always do it this way? And and not out of disrespect. It's some stuff's not working. Absolutely. So thinking about all of that, I'm really curious what when you think about the future, and it sounds like you have a lot of hope and see a light at the end of the tunnel, but what keeps you up at night? Other people. I mean, <laughs> it's really worrisome. How and I don't want to make this political, but I guess I would never would have thought that there would be that much debate about wearing a mask and defiance. Crap, we're still arguing about an election. Uh, what worries me is that that the change is happening. Nobody's stopping the change. Um, the same people who argue, uh, and again, I, I'm not making this political. It's just a statement of, and anybody can help me understand this. <laughs> jump in. <laughs> It's my right not to wear a mask. Okay, it is. But because I don't trust the science. But as soon as you're sick, you trust the science to fix you. The hospital. Mm-hmm. The same people you don't trust to make the recommendation, you trust to, to, to take care of you. Um, that's sort of where we are with future of work. People say, oh, I've lived through this before. I'll never see that day. I'm going to quit my job before that'll ever happen. We live in a small town. We live in Montana. We live in Western Pennsylvania. We live in a, it doesn't happen here or the government will step in or, or we're going to, all this stuff is going to happen. We're not, we're not putting the toothpaste back in the tube, (laughs) going back to my old days. Um, It's just, it's just not going to happen. Because we're also not isolated is China is moving much faster than we are in technology. 
and they got a billion people. And that's, that's, you know, we, we live in a globalized world. Sure, we can regulate some things, but human beings always wanted to be the most advanced. And for many, many years, the United States was the most advanced. I mean, we were the leaders. There's, there's, there's a lot of terrifying things. Uh, you know, I, I'm talking about terror, terrified. I mean, I worry about the people of being left behind mm-hmm. and what that does, especially from social unrest. I mean, because if we don't find jobs for all these people, we don't upskill. People are discouraged. They're not hopeful. They're pessimistic. They're skeptical. Uh, that's not good for society. That, that we we, we mm-hmm. can't continue to have that. Uh, but beyond that, it's it's pretty worrisome about the technology too. I mean, what AI, what technology is capable of doing in the wrong hands is pretty terrifying. And we need smart people to figure it out and and not have this partisan divide of, of uh, we're going to stem the tide holding it back and then the, the dam breaks. And, you know, whether it's climate change or, you know, infrastructure. I mean, things are, are pretty fragile. And, and uh, so those are the things that I worry about. Um, I, don't, I don't worry about the future because if we at least work together, nobody has the answers, but if we work together and collaborate, uh, it could be a really, really good future. There's there's a lot of opportunity out there. And, and that's where I spend the most of my time. I don't ignore the other stuff, but uh, I, I do. You, know, you also work on what you can. Absolutely. So, it's interesting that whether it's the mask mandates or I, I don't believe the science until it's me. And then all of a sudden I'm in the hospital and relying on people. And I've, I've thought a lot about this and the analogy I have, whether politically correct or not, is uh, someone on their deathbed finally finding God. And and uh, it's these belief systems that that are thrust upon us all of a sudden and, and uh, whether science is something that you know to be true or a belief system. But, you know, I think people are coming to terms with not only our own belief systems and our own value systems and our own mortality, but uh, other people's and the differences that are out there. And and one thing I'm curious about with the future, I guess, is, you know, that's that's the things that make you make you nervous and, and the people side of things in the future. But what is it what do we have to look forward to? What what can companies do in the workplace, the future of work here, uh, to really look at the situation we're in right now and all of this uncertainty uh, that's out there and these, these people coming to grips with what it means to be a human being and what their place in the world is and offer something to them that gives them a place of uh, a, a sense of place, a, a purpose. Uh, yeah. So I think you hit it there. It is one is it's a time. Last year was a time to reflect um, and 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 take stock of where we were. And again, many many organizations did. And I think and that's part of the challenge right now for companies in recruitment and and retention. Uh, why people are quitting jobs and why people aren't going to work for certain companies or going back to work. Um, they're taking stock of their life. Do I really want to? You know, do I do I want to just become a cog in the wheel? Uh, and they don't. So I, last year, I, I think one of the things to be hopeful for is that um, the, there's the movement, the shift, and there's a lot of companies that got it, is really taking seriously that people are their most important asset, that they're looking at the well-being of that. One of the things that occurred last year 
through technology, interesting enough, was that the level of transparency and authenticity increased over the year. Because you got to see the CEO, you got to see inside his home. He, all of a sudden, his kids were, were interrupting the call, where before that was not permissible. And all of a sudden, it was everybody was introducing their kids on the phone. You talked about your habits, you talked about your challenges. Um, there was there was actually empathy, not that you can have empathy in a Zoom meeting, but you can display it. It's a human feature, is empathy. It's a uniquely human feature, is empathy. And there was empathy displayed. There was concerns. Oh, you know, it, it looks like you're having a busy, you know, it, 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 it doesn't look like you're feeling well, or it looks like there's a lot going on in your home. And people started to relate to that, where before you just went to a cubicle. And there were even regulations at work of, oh, that's too many pictures you have, or, or how you decorated your space. All that stuff went away. And that was a good thing. So the, the companies, and again, there's a lot of businesses out there that aren't going to make it. They're just not going to make it for lots of reasons. But there's a lot of companies that will, and there's a lot of companies that will transform. And interesting enough, last year, during the pandemic, there were more new business starts. It was a record. There were no, new, more new businesses started last year than there were in 2019. Wow. And so people are hopeful. It's like, um, you, don't, you don't borrow money and start a business and put everything on the line. I don't think it's hopeful. And those businesses are going to eventually have to hire people. So, so the companies that are, you know, that we need to get back to business uh, are, I don't, I don't have an answer for them. I mean, I, I really don't. I don't, you know, if you're big enough, I guess you can hang on and you have reserves or you're in an essential business. But, you know, 95% or greater are small businesses, uh, privately owned. And uh, you know, that's the future, which means that companies, are, you know, people can make a good living. They can, they can do things they enjoy living, doing. Uh, they can work for employers that care about them, uh, that take their well-being and their health and, and their futures into place. And I'm seeing, I'm seeing a ton of that. I, I mean, we're, as I said, we had an incredibly busy year and the first half of this year was busier than last year. Uh, so I'm, I'm very grateful, but I'm, a, I rely on other businesses growing, <laughs> you know, if they're not hiring and, and they're not growing uh, and, and a lot on leadership companies are really looking to how can we develop our people? I'm not sure they're doing it the right way, you know, all the right way. I mean, they're trying to, they're, they're really focused on the technical skills, but, you know, there are more, I think there's a movement, more and more companies are getting engaged with helping people individually uh, provide those adaptability skills or, or, or whatever it is, um, you know, develop emotional intelligence, uh, help them become more empathetic. How do they juggle their lives? Let's, Let's talk about your kids. What can we do to make that easier, whether it's child care or elder care or, you know, being able to see your kids play ball, less travel, less commuting. There's a million solutions. Um, it's just what, what, what's right for those. And that's what I see as a positive. It's awesome. So I have so many other follow-up questions to that, but we are almost out of time. So I know, Kyle, you love to ask. Um, we ask two unrelated questions at the end of every show. 
Um, and I think we have time for one and you love your question so much. So Kyle, I will <laughs> let you have the honor. We don't want to disappoint Kyle. <laughs> no. <laughs> at, at some point we'll do something with this information, but for now it's at least endlessly fascinating to me. Uh, like, like Jen said, I have, I have, uh, uh, it has nothing to do necessarily with what we've been talking about, but I'm curious. And uh, uh, what is your favorite book of all time and why? Favorite book of all time. I'm actually drawing a blank on the name, but it was by Warren Bennis. Actually, I'll, I'll tell you the other ones that I think were, were more enlightening. There was a series called the Zag series. It was out in the 80s and 90s by the CEO of DDI. And um, or Zap, not Zag, Zap, Z Z A P B, and there were these mythical stories that talked about, you know, in, well, things, same thing we're talking about now: <laughs> engagement, uh, how to be a better leader, how to be a better manager. Uh, and um, I'm also a big fan of Warren Bennis and some of his books uh, that were available out there. So I'm not sure there was one book that completely flipped my switch, but uh, there there's certainly themes that did. Love it. So we are about out of time. Uh, if you could, uh, please, Ira, let anybody that's listening know, how do we find you? Uh, I know you've written books. Uh, uh, how do we find you online? Any way that you'd like people to engage? Well, they call me the Googleization guy uh, for, for a couple of reasons. So one is you can just Google me, uh, Ira Wolf or Ira S. Wolf. Uh, my website, Success Performance Solutions active on LinkedIn. Uh, my Twitter hand, handle is higher authority. It's H-I-R-E authority. But if essentially, if you put Ira Wolf for Googleization into, uh, into Google, I will show up. <laughs> Great. So thank you, Ira. Uh, to, thank you, Ira Wolf, for being on the show, Chief Googleization Officer for Success Performance Solutions. Uh, it was fascinating listening and we all learned a lot. And until next time, we're off to continue building better communities where people and businesses thrive. Thank you for listening to the Future of Work Water Cooler Conversations with your hosts, Jen Burrell and Kyle McIntosh. Each episode shines the spotlight on business leaders who are defining what a healthy and productive workplace looks like in Arizona and beyond. To be part of the conversation, schedule a visit of the Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center in Tempe, Arizona, and connect with us at max6.com. Remember to like and subscribe to the Future of Work Water Cooler Conversations on Apple Podcasts.